Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. From KUNC and the NPR Network, this is In the NOCO, a daily slice of Northern Colorado news and happenings. It's Tuesday, December 19th. I'm Erin O'Toole. Millions of people rely on water from the Colorado River, but there is just not enough to quench everyone's thirst. There's a big gap between the amount of water in the river and the amount that people are using. It's a conundrum that policymakers across seven Western states continue to grapple with. Last week, more than a 1,000 people with a stake in the river's future met in Las Vegas, giving a peek behind the curtain of ongoing negotiations and some clues as to just how difficult it will be to find solutions that make everybody happy. Alex Hager reports on the Colorado River for KUNC. He was there to cover that conference, and he joins me now to share a bit of what came out of it. Hey, Alex, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So representatives from the seven states that rely on water from the Colorado River were in Las Vegas for this annual conference. Can you talk about what exactly was being discussed at this gathering? One of the big things on everyone's mind is this next set of rules for managing the river. So right now, the rules that we use to determine how the water is shared across basically 40 million people around seven states in the West, those rules are going to expire in 2026. So the people in charge need to come up with a new set of guidelines before then. A lot of those negotiations are happening behind closed doors. So this was kind of a rare opportunity to get a peek into what exactly they're talking about. Right. And so what did you hear? What's the progress of negotiations on these new rules? Well, the progress is not great. I think a lot of people are kind of holding out hope that these rules could be a a real serious look at the amount of water that we're using across the West and, and a really good opportunity to bring down our demand in response to shrinking supply. Climate change has been making the amount of water in the West smaller for over 20 years now, and there are a lot of calls to reduce demand. That is a lot easier said than done. There are these long simmering tensions between the states that use it, and there's also the need to account for the 30 federally recognized tribes that use the river's water, for the environment, for plants and animals that need the water along the way. So balancing all of those needs is really difficult. And because of that, the outlook for a deal that pleases everyone is not great. John Ensminger, who's the top water negotiator from Nevada, he forecasted that this rule, this set of rules will be a messy compromise Mm. that will be judged harshly by history, which does not instill a lot of confidence. One thing he did say, though, was that maybe the future of the Colorado River and its management will look like silver buckshot. That's sort of like the opposite of a silver bullet. It's a bunch of small solutions that kind of all work together in harmony to, you know, make the river work for everyone. Sure. And I'm super intrigued by this idea of silver buckshot. What a quintessentially Western way to put it. But what does this even mean? What does this look like if there's no silver bullet approach? 
Well, like I said, there's just a lot of different groups that need to have their needs met by the next round of rules for the Colorado River. And a lot of them were at this conference. You had 30 federally recognized tribes there. You had environmental and conservation groups looking out for birds and plants and streams and fish. You had cities that are growing really rapidly. You had farmers that depend on a lot of water to you know, grow leafy greens and put them on tables all across the U.S. You even had people from Grand Canyon National Park. There are a lot of different needs that need to be met. And it's starting to come into focus that maybe the only way to meet them is with a patchwork of different rules and tactics. So not everybody is going to be pleased by one legal agreement that mainly sets out to cut back on water. To make all of these people whole, you're going to have to have a lot of other agreements, a lot of other conservation programs, and even some new technology to keep everyone happy. Hmm. Well, what were some of the big takeaways that you heard in terms of these, you know, multiple solutions, myriad of solutions? Well, because there were so many diverse perspectives at the conference, there were a lot of diverse solutions being brought to the table. Uh, One of them was, you know, a greater use of infrastructure and, and technology to keep more water in the system. So, for example, in Southern California, they're putting hundreds of millions of dollars into a water reuse facility that literally takes sewage, cleans it up to the point that it's completely safe to drink, and puts it back into the system. So does that actually cut the total amount of water that's used? Not really, but it does allow areas around Los Angeles to use water over and over again that they already have. And the same technology is forecasted to be rolled out in parts of Colorado within the next decade. There are also suggestions to measure water differently. There are people who say right now we're not doing enough to account for evaporation. We're losing a ton of water, especially in Nevada, Arizona, and California, simply that disappears into the air because it's sitting in a giant reservoir in the hot desert sun, or it's flowing hundreds of miles through canals that might be a little leaky. And One of the other big things that came up was the idea of tribal groups as allies. Tribes have been left out of conversations about how to manage the river for more than a century. They've been calling for more inclusion, and they're saying, you know, not only do we want that because it will help us protect the rights and needs of people who are members of these tribes, but also because we could be good allies to cities, states, and the federal government, we control a lot of water. We have the legal rights to a lot of water. And if you want to conserve it, you could start by reaching out to us. Well, so Alex, resilience seems to be one of the prominent buzzwords this year, too. It's right there at the top of the conference agenda. And I'm wondering what you heard about that. What does resilience mean in this context? The source of the problem on the Colorado River is that it is shrinking due to climate change and that people are not doing enough to rein in demand in response to that shrinking. It is going to be very hard to come up with durable solutions that last into decades of an uncertain future shaped by climate change. So the idea here is that people want to set up plans that are flexible, plans to manage the water that can ebb and flow just like water can, plans that Make sure different groups, whether they be tribes or fish or farmers, are protected even in times of shortage. And I think that for the first time in a while, while there is not necessarily consensus on the problem, excuse me, there's not consensus on the solution, the people in charge seem to say that there is consensus on the problem. Mm -hmm. And that is a problem that is going to require long-term and flexible solutions. Well, on the subject of that long-term approach here, what are you going to be watching for next, Alex? 
I'm really curious to watch the role of tribes in those formal negotiations get shaped. You know, they have been for years now calling for a seat at the table, and they're saying now, look, there, there have been some steps in the positive direction. There are discussions where tribes are kind of providing input, but they want to see, uh, in their words, uh, that role institutionalized. Tribal leaders from across the Colorado River Basin have said they want to see a kind of legally protected set-in-stone seat or seats at the table in river negotiations going forward that can withstand changes in state, tribal, and federal government. And I'm really curious to see if they'll get that. Alex Hager covers the Colorado River for KUNC. Alex, thank you for your reporting on this, and thank you so much for joining me today. It's always good to be here. Thanks for having me. And you can read more of Alex's reporting at our website, KUNC.org. Hey, do you have an idea for the show, something you'd like to hear us cover? You can help keep us in the know by sending a text or leaving us a voicemail at 970-614-5323. Please tell us your name and the city you're calling from, and we may use your comment or idea in a future episode. That's it for us today here on In The No Co. Robin Vincent is our executive producer. I'm your host, Erin O'Toole. We'll be back tomorrow with more of what's happening in Northern Colorado.